Take your Bible with me this morning and turn back to the same exact verses we dealt with last week. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. We dealt with verse 4. We're going to deal with verse 5 this morning. This, this message is entitled, God Sent Forth His Son, Part 2. I thought a long time this week. Uh, it's, it's, it's got to where I'm, I'm reading so much information, and I, I try to keep it in a condensed format. But, you know, this thing of redemption is something that's important to you and me. Either we've been redeemed or we're not redeemed. It's no if or hope so or maybe about it. And as I sat there this week and I thought about what I wanted to say on this particular verse, verse 5, immediately the thing came into my mind that of, of this man, Job. And in answer to Job's miserable comforters, charge against him as we talked about it somewhat in the Sunday Bible class hour they they looked at everything that he endured and their thoughts were what have you done to get to this yeah there's something wrong in your life the Lord's chastening you which we know as we saw in the Sunday Bible class this morning nothing could be further from the truth sometimes the Lord the Lord chastens those whom he loves not because sometimes not even because of anything that they've done there's a trial and a purpose as we read there in 1 Peter. Peter told those believers, look, there's manifold temptations and trials for all of us as children of God. But his response to them for the charges, and they were miserable comforters. They answered without listening to anything that this man has said. He responded to them this way, for I know. What do I know? I know my, my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. You hear that? Who I shall see for myself. And mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And as I read that verse and thought about his response, I got to thinking about words again. And that, that Hebrew word, and this is a Hebrew word, translated redeemer, it means, you know what it means? And this, 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 this floored me when I looked at this. this was, it means the act, this is the actual definition of redeemer, the act of the kinsman redeemer. You know that story? <laughs> the kinsman redeemer. Who was the kinsman redeemer? Boaz picture and type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so then I got to thinking about, well, that, well if, if that's what the word means, where's the first time that was used in the scriptures? Because that's always important to me because the law of first mention tells me that however a word is used, the very first time in the scriptures, from that point forward, what do we see? An amplification of the meaning of that term. So the first time the word redeemer in this sense is used in the scripture, you know what it was used? It was used when Jacob, who when, it, when you read it, it doesn't call him Jacob. What does it call him? It calls him Israel. His name has already been changed from Jacob's schemer to what? Israel, which Israel means what? God prevails. Not I prevailed over God, God prevails. 
And he was about to pronounce a blessing on Joseph's sons. And, you know, Joseph comes in to see his dad because his dad's old, about to die. And he brings his boys in and he brings his boys out from under his coat and he pushes his boys forward. And, oh, oh Israel, what does he do? He swaps his hands and puts his right hand, the hand of authority, on the younger son and his left hand on... And Joseph tries to straighten out daddy's hands and daddy won't have none of it. And so he crosses his hand and he pronounces a blessing on Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And this is, this is what he says. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life unto this day, angel which redeemed me from all evil. There's an admission there, is it? He's redeemed me from what? Evil, sin, defilement, transgression. And here's the thing. The admission and the confession of both Job and Israel reveal their understanding concerning the person of the one required to redeem them. You see this? They understood what it took. The world doesn't. The natural mind cannot. See, they understood that no mere man could act the part of a kinsman redeemer. It required what? The glorious person described by the Apostle Paul in the verse we looked at last week. But when the fullness of time was come. What did Job say? I know my redeemer liveth. And though my body's going to be consumed, what am I going to see? I see him. I tell you, Job saw Christ as much as we see him. <laughs> Abraham longed to see my day, and what? He saw it. And he rejoiced. They understood that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Listen, there was no Ten Commandments at this point in time when Israel pronounced this blessing. But I tell you what, Israel and Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh they were under the law. Which law? The law of Adam. The law of nature. That was the only law they had. The command was clear. What? Love God. Love your neighbor. God's elect national Israel. Among national Israel. They understood. And they boldly professed the nature of their Redeemer. All of them did. I don't have the time to read it. I, tell, I, I encourage you, I challenge you this week, if you've got a strong concordance, you got the hard-covered book, get it out. It's a little harder. If you have it somewhere on your phone or on your computer, go 
put from Genesis to Malachi and put the word redeemer in and make sure it's the same word that's used in, in uh, the first time in Genesis 48, verse 15, 16, is it's that word redeemer because sometimes it's a different word. But look at that word redeemer and look at how many times it's used. But you look, every time that the word used in the Old Testament, look how those people that used it spoke of and wrote of their Redeemer. Every one of them that spoke of him, everyone that wrote of him, you know what? They always defined him. Always. Let me give you two of them. As for our Redeemer, this is Isaiah, as for our Redeemer, our kinsman Redeemer, The Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Who redeemed? Not a man, not any man. He has to be a unique man. What does he have to be? He has to be our God. He has to be the Holy One of Israel. Listen to King David. And they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God their Redeemer. (laughs) As we saw in last week's message, the triune God, He could not and He did not entrust the work of redemption to angels. He didn't entrust it to the free will of man. And He certainly did not entrust it to obedience and works of the law. Because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in His sight. The work of redeeming required one who had the power to redeem and was willing to redeem and willing to do everything required to redeem, seeing he himself, who is he? He's the one that is both God and man, the Holy One of Israel, the one declared by our God to be fit and qualified for this eternal work. Listen to David. For the Lord is our defense. And the Holy One of Israel is our King. Then thou spakest in a vision to thy Holy One and said, he said to his Holy One, who's his Holy One? He's Christ, the Messiah, that one sin of a woman, the sin of God made of a woman, made under the law. He said what? I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen Where was he chosen? Out of the people. Who's he talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now that being said, what was the work? Because that's what we want to do. We dealt with a person last week. What was the work, this glorious person, who was, was, what's the work this glorious person was sent to accomplish? The work that required the Son of God's incarnation, his glorious conception, his sinless life, his vicarious substitutionary death, and his glorious resurrection. Why? For what purpose? Here it is. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's all we're going to deal with this morning, just that one verse. That Greek word, now we're talking about a Greek word, not a Hebrew word. The Greek word translated redeem means payment of a price to recover from the power of another. 
Get that. We use redemption. I'm going to redeem my ticket. Well, that ain't what we mean. Redemption scripturally is the payment of the price required to recover from the power of another to ransom or to buy off. God requires something. Somebody got to pay it. Either you or somebody got to pay it in your place. And that's so important. Here's another thing. It's a verb. Sue ain't here, so I can't look to your mama and <laughs> confirm it's a verb. Verbs are important because verbs, they have tenses. They have voices. <laughs> and as a verb, it's in what's called the aorist tense. I didn't pay attention, but aorist tense in the Greek is a little different from aorist t- tense in the English language. But I do know this much because I can read and I can study and I can look up the meaning of some things. And aorist tense in the Greek, you know what it always applies to? Past tense. Something that's done. An event never to be recurred. To redeem. What did he do? The son came to redeem. It's been done. Redemption's accomplished. But it's also this, and this is what, what keyed me in on this. It's in what's called the active voice. And an active voice means what? It means that the subject of the sentence is the one doing all the action. Us ain't doing the action. So the question popped up in my mind is this. Who's the subject of the sentence? Who's the subject doing the action? God sent forth his son. So who's doing the action? The one doing the action is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one sent by God. Brings us to another question that demands an answer. What was the price required? in order to redeem. We sang it this morning. What's the price of redemption? Blood. Listen to the Apostle Paul. In whom we have redemption through his blood. How? Through my works of the law, through my faith, through my repentance, through my morality, through my love. No, through his blood. What does his blood accomplish? The forgiveness of sin. Always, that verse just keeps ringing in my head. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that by this man is preached unto you what? The forgiveness of sins. And by him, all by his power, power of his spirit, by him all that believe are justified or declared righteous from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. We have in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. How? According to the riches of his grace. That's Ephesians 1, verse 7. Paul writes another letter to Coloss, the brethren at Colossia. And he says the same exact thing. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. And I tell you what, the writer of Hebrews made it crystal clear concerning the cost or the price required to redeem us. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. How? His own blood he entered in once into the holy place. Christ never went in any tabernacle down here. No temple. 
He went there to read. And he didn't go there to sacrifice. He was not a priest after the order of Levi. As we've been seeing in our Wednesday night Zoom Bible study, he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Without beginning and without end. Having obtained. He entered in one time into the holy place, into heaven itself. Because the only way he can enter into heaven all, he had to accomplish it. If Christ did not do what I'm about to read to you, he's still in that tomb over there in Israel. Having obtained eternal, not just redemption, eternal redemption. See, folks, the price required to redeem, it took nothing less, and thank God it took nothing more than what Christ offered. What did he offer? Himself. In the garden. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If there had been another way sinners could be redeemed, God would have set his holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, son free. But it required this person, this God-man. Repentance cannot redeem. Obedience cannot redeem. And I'm going to tell you what, faith itself cannot redeem. The redemption and forgiveness of our sins was actually accomplished through the offering of the God-sent Christ who's both God and man satisfying infinite law and justice by his very obedience unto death. Christ didn't merely make redemption possible and he certainly didn't just put sinners in a redeemable position. What did he do? He paid the price required to recover his people from the power of another. You see that? It's what redemption is. It's to pay the price required to recover one from another. He bought us back out from under the law. The law required our death. The law demanded perfect obedience. He brought, paid the price required to bring us out from underneath. Folks, Christ actually redeemed his people. That's so important to me as a sinner. Huh? Isn't that, if you ain't learned this lesson, you don't know Christ. In my flesh dwells no good thing. And that, that wasn't before I was saved. That's this moment as I stand here preaching this gospel to you. But that brings to another question, which is answered in his verse. Who did the son sent of the father, made of a woman, made under the law? Who did he actually redeem? He tells us to redeem them that are under the law. And I wrote this statement. thought about it a long time before I wrote it down, but it's so true. Many make the false assumption that Christ offered the price to redeem all, seeing they considered the phrase were under the law to include who? All men and women without exception. And it does. But they don't remember this that the scriptures teach. Representation. All are under the law where? In Adam. All men and women, including the elect of God. You got to keep in mind, who's Paul dealing with primarily in this letter? 
that he's right. He's dealing, he's dealing with Jews because he keeps, he's talked his whole third and fourth chapter. What's he talking about? He's been talking about we, himself, including himself and these Jews that are seeking to bring these Gentiles back under that old legal Mosaic law. He had told them we were under the law. We were in bondage and in captivity under the law. And so he told these Jews that the Lord Jesus Christ came to redeem them, these Jews that were where? Under the law of Moses. Meaning who? Every single solitary Jew that was under the law of Moses? Was, Cor was Korah redeemed by Christ? Was King Saul redeemed by Christ? Balaam or any others that were back, yeah, any, any of those Old Testament Jews that were rebels that hated the true and living God. Were any of them, were any of them redeemed out from under the law? He's telling them that, that Christ redeemed the elect from among the Jews who in other verses, in other, other places in the scriptures, he distinguishes the Gentiles who were never under the law. Listen to this. For as many as have sinned without the law shall perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law, somebody in the, under the law of Moses, shall be judged by the law. Two different laws. You don't, but the Gentiles not under the law of Moses. But he says you're still going to be judged you're still going to receive the curse. He says, listen to this, to them that are without law, is without law. It doesn't sound like I said outlaw. Without law, okay? But listen to this, he goes on. Being not without law to God, but under law to who? Law to Christ. That I might gain them that are without law. Because Paul was the, gen, he was the apostle to who? To the Gentiles who were not under the law. Do you go back and search any of Paul's messages, anywhere he ever went, he never preached the law anywhere. Never tried to put any single solitary person he preached to back under the Mosaic economy, which he had been freely delivered from. Now listen, to, even though the Jew, Gentiles, including you and me, were never under the law of Moses, we weren't without law to God. Like what Mr. Gill, the way he dealt with this subject, he said the Gentiles were under the law of nature. The law was given to Adam as a, listen to it, as a covenant of works. That law given to our father, Adam, in the garden, what was it? As long as you don't eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, what's going to happen to you? You're going to live. But in the day you eat, what happens? The curse. The curse. He said the law was given to Adam as a covenant of works and not to him as a single person, but given to him according to the scriptures as a federal head, a federal representative to all his posterity. Everybody, Jew, Gentile. Black, white, rich, poor, all fell in Adam. Hence, he sinning, and they in him, they all came under its sentence of condemnation and death. 
God's elect not accepted. This law of nature pronounced, what does it do? The law of nature. When Adam fell, what did it pronounce on us? Adam, Adam was under the curse. And Kenny didn't have anything to do with that law of Moses. He was under the curse. You see that? I saw some lady wrote some mess on Facebook this week about how we show disregard and contempt for the law. The law is holy, just, perfect, and good. But this law stretches back further than the 10 and the 635 given at, at, at Sinai. This curse stretches back to the beginning when man fell in Adam. The law of nature pronounced a curse on all men and women without exception, including God's elect, demanding what? The full payment price. From who? Everybody. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Where? In Adam. You keep this in mind. The subject here is what? To redeem them that are under the law. Christ has redeemed somebody. He's not trying to redeem. When the fullness of time was come, exactly at God's appointed time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to do what? To redeem them that were under the law. Listen to Mr. Gill again. He says, and who are the persons said to be redeemed? For Christ was not sent to redeem all who were under the law. Whereas all mankind were included in it as a covenant of works made with Adam and all are transgressors of it, the whole world was pronounced guilty before God by it and all without exception were liable for its curse. So how do you answer the question? If everybody's under the law and Christ came to redeem them that were under the law, wouldn't that mean everybody's going to heaven? If he actually redeemed, because what is redemption? It is the payment of the price to buy one out from under the power of another. So we got, a, we, got a, we got something we've got to settle scripturally. So what's the answer? The answer's simple. Who'd Christ redeem? All God's elect, all those chosen in Christ their head before the foundation of the world, who were under the law. These Jews that were under the old Mosaic law, kept separate from every other country and nation, people tongue kindred from decades and centuries, as well as God's elect from among the Gentiles who were under the law of nature. Christ paid the full price required for their forgiveness of sins, delivering them from the guilt, penalty, and condemnation of the law of sin and death. Paul said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law. Listen to what he calls it, the law of sin and death. I can't help but think of what John said that the church sings at the end. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, he says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open its seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Where from? Out of every kindred, and every tongue, and every people, and every nation. And here's what we sang this morning. 
and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Folks, that's just not a mere possibility of redemption. If we fulfill some certain condition, this is full, free, eternal redemption accomplished in our name and in our nature by our God-sent Savior, surety, representative, redeemer, and friend, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God it can never be undone. Think about what Henry used to say, payment God cannot twice demand. First, from my surety's bleedings, my surety's bleeding hand, and then again at mine. If he redeemed me, if he paid the price, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that declared right. But there's one last thing in this verse, in this passage. The blessedness this redemption freely bestows on the redeemed of God. Listen to what he said. That we might receive the adoption of sons. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Words mean everything. That word translated that means in order that or so that. And that word translated by the phrase we might receive is one word. And listen to this. It means to recover or to receive what is due or what has been promised. And that phrase, the adoption of sons, is one word in the original, and it means the nature and condition of those made sons of God. So put all that together. In order that we might be given what has been promised to us, what's been promised to us, we are sons of God. Here's the same word. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive. There's the same word. It's in our text. You shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. So what are we talking about here? This adoption. Of son. We're talking about whatever we're talking about. It's talking about an inheritance. An inheritance. Who does inheritance go to? We're heirs of God and joint heirs of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. In the everlasting covenant of grace, all of God's elect, every single solitary one of them, have always been viewed in Christ as what? Sons. We'll see that next week when we get into the next verse. We've always been, they're they're sons of God and they're sons of the devil. And you don't ever go back and forth between the two. I'm not looking at people that were formerly children of the devil and now they're children of God. That ain't happening. There's no spiritual evolution goes on. So we're viewed in Christ as son. From, from everlasting. You know what we've always been called? Vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. So what he's saying is this. Now that Christ has come and Christ has redeemed all his people from under the law, this privilege of the adoption is bestowed on us in its entirety. All of it. Listen to what he said to, 
about Abraham and all those that are of Abraham. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized, that's regeneration and conversion of the Holy Spirit, baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor free. For you're all one in Christ. And if Christ, you're Abraham's seed. That's, that's the adoption. What are we? We're Abraham's seed. And what do we get? Heirs according to the promise. None of these blessings of this inheritance, this adoption, are based on any merit in us. You think about this, and we'll close with this this morning. What would any sinner deserve from God that's shut up under the law? Subject to the curse of the law. And in themselves worthy of everlasting death. We receive this blessed, this blessing freely, even though we're unworthy of it, based on nothing done by us or in us. It's all based on the merit and the worth and the value of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one sin of God, made of a woman, made under the law. And he was made under that law not for himself. He wrote the law. He was made under the law for what? For us, those he willingly redeemed. We'll close with this. We, we've received this adoption by the only redemption which was accomplished by Christ, who is our rich and everlasting merit before God. Paul stated it so clearly. He said, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory one place. Let him or her glory where? In the Lord our redemption. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you. Keep you till we see you uh, next Lord's Day.